Welcome everybody to the very first episode of the Amarmuto talk show. And you are here because you believe people are designed to adapt and you want to feed that talent by hearing stories and learning from the lessons of other resilient people. Today, our first guest, Raksha, somebody I'm very proud to call a friend and somebody I know, who has a very, very interesting story and the way she's dealing with it is even more amazing. Raksha, thank uh-huh. you for being on the show. I'm going to shake your hand. We're going to hug yes, later. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Okay. I was stalking your uh, Instagram and I think you guys should follow her because it's amazing what's out there. The pictures are great, but the texts, I think, are the real gems. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I made a little collection of stuff. Um, so I, I took a bunch of your posts and cut out the pieces. For the people that don't know you, mm-hmm. you wrote a little piece. I was born with a deformed face and jaundice. The doctors wouldn't allow my mother to take me with her. After she had vehemently refused, she picked me up, left the hospital, and carried me home. For the next few weeks, she massaged my face daily and kept me in the sun for hours to treat the yellow color of my skin. Where was this? When was this? Uh, So I was born in Suriname. Okay. And... um, That's South America, right? Yeah. It's the smallest country in South America. Only half a million people are living there. Okay. Um, And um, my... What year were you born? You don't remember? <laughs> 1985. 1985? Yes, yes. And uh, when I was three, we moved to the Netherlands. Okay. So I lived for three years in, uh, in Suriname. Which, and it wasn't safe for us because my grandpa was murdered. It's called the December Murders. Oh wow, it just passed uh, in the courts. In 1982, yes, exactly, it passed, yeah. So, so your grandfather was assassinated or murdered? Yes, with 14 other people around that time. Wow. Yes, yeah. And, and um, that's why you left the country? Um, yeah, because it, it wasn't safe for us anymore. Like we, had, uh, we, had a, we had a pretty good life. We had houses and cars there and dogs. But then, um, like the military people, they would drug or poison our drug, uh, dogs, basically. Wow. Yeah, and they were taprophones. Wow. And they would uh, follow us around. So my mom was there with two little children. She thought, you know, we have to, we have to move. So that's why we came to the Netherlands. Wow. Yeah. Then you continue. Mm-hmm. As a child, I grew up surrounded by women. The only men I knew were either violent, addicts, or didn't stick around for long. I remember being stalked by my mom's ex-boyfriend, witnessing my neighbor beat up his wife, my cousin touching me between my legs when we were playing, my uncle sending me inappropriate text messages, and my mom's neck covered in bruises. This is a complete different dimension from what you just mentioned. (laughs) A political... uh, Like, your, your grandfather was in the... Government. He was a politician and a lawyer, yeah. In yeah. Suriname? Yes. So highly respectable. Wow. Uh, basically, yeah, yeah. And then you move to Netherlands, then this piece comes out. <laughs> yes, yes. So I didn't grow up with a dad. 
uh, first of all. Okay. Um, and um, but my mom used to have uh, boyfriends sometimes coming to the house, but they were pretty. Um, they weren't that great. Let me say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Minor understatement. Yeah. <laughs> Minor understatement. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um. And this, this, you grew up surrounded by women. What does yeah. that mean? So my mom, my sister, basically my aunts. Um. Yeah, those were the family. We didn't have a big family. Just those okay. people surrounding me all the time, and then I didn't. Have, really have a relationship with men or didn't know how to deal with men because they were never in my life. Not to that extent. Uh, not when I was a little kid. So even, I didn't know what it was to have a dad around. Um, no, they were either violent addicts or didn't stick around for long. Yeah. These were the type of men that you saw. I remember one time that one of... Um, yeah, so one of my mom's boyfriends, she broke up with him, mm-hmm. and he had this uh, dark red, like Bordeaux red Mercedes. I always recognized it, and I always knew he was at the house when he was there in the parking lot. So she broke up with him, but he went from my room. I could see the parking lot. So sometimes I would see his red Mercedes just standing there. And then in the morning, I would walk to the school with a 10-minute walk by myself, um, and I would get out of the house, walk to school, and I could see the red Mercedes, and then he just started following me, and then he opened the window, or, um, and then he would start saying, I don't remember what he said, but he would just follow me all the way to school, and I would just be freaked out and ignore him. Wow. I was just a little girl. So things like that, and sometimes my mom had bruises in her necks, in her neck, mm. I mean... Um, so I didn't have a high opinion of men, and I didn't trust them. Like, no way. I didn't trust men at all. Wow. Wow, that's intense. And uh, were you afraid? I don't think I was afraid. I just didn't want to be around them. I thought my mom always used to ask me when I was little what I wanted to be when I uh, when I when I was all grow- fully grown and I would always say um, I want to be a doctor mm-hmm. and then I um, in my spare time I'm going to ha- help children in need and then um, and she would say don't you want to get like married and have kids and stuff like that and I was like well I want to have my own house my own car I want to make my own money and um, I want to have a baby and she would say don't you want to have a husband I was like, well, maybe I, I would like maybe a boyfriend, and he can just like come and live with us if he wants to. But it wasn't. I didn't. I never had this picture of me being married or this a man involved, basically. I just had my own life and my kid, and that was it. No. So it shifts. It says, I attempted suicide when I was twenty-four years old. I know what depression feels like smells like and tastes like but I overcame it and if I can anyone can let's help each other out what what happened you were 21 committed suicide 
Yeah, so I, at the time, was working at this restaurant um, like six, seven days a week, and I, I had a boyfriend at the time where we had a very um, physical, he was very physical, I just say that, abusive, well, physically, yes. So I would work six, seven days a week. Uh, to pay for my rent and I hardly had money to pay for anything so as I always felt fortunate that I was working at a restaurant even if it was as a waitress because I knew I could eat well they would give you lunch and stuff like that I didn't have to buy any groceries because I didn't have money to buy groceries I had 25 um, euros or guilders at the time probably um, for the whole month to buy groceries yeah so I thought, at least I can eat there. I would work my face off, basically, and then I would come home, my boyfriend would be there. We didn't live together, but he was always there. And he would pick a fight. And then we would, like, fight, and then the neighbors would call the police. And then he would go, but it was exhausting. Imagine doing this every day. Every day, every day. Every day. I imagine doing no. one day. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> um, and also... I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't even know. How do you talk about these things? I don't know. Like, I was all restrained and I, I couldn't talk about these things. Nothing about the past. I never talked about it um, before that. So, I was just... Ex I remember that I thought, I'm exhausted. I'm, like, thoroughly exhausted. So, one afternoon... I was too exhausted to get to get out of bed and to get out of the house and I already had suicidal thoughts before that so it's just a matter of time basically and I got up in that that morning and that was the day I decided this is this is the day so I had pills I had uh, alcohol and then I just uh, took them together and then I went to sleep yeah, yeah, but it did feel I felt very calm because I knew I could go to sleep. That was it. So there's this calm coming over you instead of this. It's not a desperation. It's just I made a decision. This is it. I can feel my whole throat drying up, man. It's <laughs> intense. That's super intense. Mm. Wow. And then you say, I was never afraid of death. I was afraid of life. Hell is other people, according to Sartre, because we only feel shame, guilt, and inadequacy in the presence of someone else's gaze. I believed I was worthless, a waste of life to others. And then that looking glass became my world. So isn't hell actually ourselves? Because we allow our self-image to be a product of how we believe others perceive us. Was this before your suicide attempt, or? Yes, uh, many, many. I've always had this. I always had this uh, low self-esteem, basically. Um, it was even for years. It has taken me. Over 
25 years, I guess, to look in a mirror and to, to be actually satisfied with myself, basically. I couldn't look in the mirror. I would go to the, um, to the restroom if I was somewhere. I'd go to the restroom and there's always a mirror when you wash your hands. So I would just go wash my hands, be afraid to look in the mirror because I was, I always felt like I was so ugly. I was thought, I was just too scared that it was gonna ruin the rest of my day, basically, just looking in the mirror because I had, I didn't like what I saw in the mirror, so I just wouldn't look in it. Just your look. Yeah. Well, it was my, it was how I looked at myself, not just um, externally, but also how I felt about myself. I didn't like myself. Um, to, your, to use the word disgust is not an exaggeration. I, I disgusted myself. So when I looked into the mirror, that would just be um, um, proof, basically. Yeah. So I would just, why, why were you so disgusted by yourself? Because I didn't have any self-worth. I didn't think I could do anything. I didn't... My mom never paid attention to me. Um, so at the age of eight, I decided to do things by myself and I thought nobody's ever going to pay attention to me anyway, so it doesn't really matter anymore. So I stopped caring about getting someone's attention and love. Um, so I didn't think I was worth somebody else's attention and love because I wasn't getting it anyway. Um, so even looking into the reflection of, I, I always was amazed by, you know how some women or men look into the reflection of a window and just do their hair, just a little yeah. bit like this and look at that. I was so amazed because I, I could never do that. And I thought, wow, how do people do that? How do they do that? How do they look at their like reflection in a window or a mirror and just be like, oh yeah. I, don't, I just didn't, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, then this text talks about that, that all these things you perceive come from another person's gaze. Can you, can you explain? Because it, it, it says, uh, we can only feel shame, guilt and inadequacy in the presence of someone else's gaze. Yeah, because if we're alone, if you're alone in your room and nobody's looking at you, you... Uh, like, what do you do? Like, some people start dancing, put on music, start dancing, as if there are no, there's nobody around, so you can do whatever you want. But sometimes we tend to, I don't know, hide certain things we think are weird, maybe to other people, we don't do them, because other people are looking, and we feel like other people are judging. So, I guess I always felt weird, <laughs> so I didn't want to, um, um, I thought that anything I say or anything I do is going to come across as weird. So people are going to think I'm weird, so better not speak, better not do anything, better not socialize with people, just hide away, because other, yeah, otherwise I'm just digging this hole for myself, basically. So I didn't do anything, so I guess that the moment you start telling yourself, fuck what other people think. I don't give a shit. It's just, who are they, basically? There's no they. And then 
you open up this whole world for yourself. Um, yeah. Beautiful. It says here you were 26, working two jobs to pay for university, but opportunities don't care about empty wallets. I bought an outfit for 20 euros, booked the shabbiest hotel, and two weeks later, I took the cheapest flight to London. What's going on here? Mm, so, I was at university, yeah. And um, I don't know why I enrolled in this modeling program. It, it was a contest online. I never do those kind of things, but I thought, why not send in a picture, photo? So, I sent in this photo. Never, didn't hear anything about it. And it said that um, you could win a photo shoot. And they were going to make a selection of 10 women. So months or weeks later, I saw that they picked 10 ladies. And none of them was me. So I was like, okay, fine. But I hadn't read the, like, the small print. Mm -hmm. Which basically said that they were also going to select 10 girls to... Um, for a contest, and they were gonna they were gonna pick one to be the new face of Tia Maria, the, the brand, um, for that year. So I got this email from a woman in the organization, and she said, "You've been selected." Me with my low self esteem didn't believe it, so I ignored the whole email. I was like, "What is that? This is some kind of scam." So I didn't read it, and then she kept emailing me. And I was like, what? It's not possible. How could you pick me? Um, and a week before, I guess, or two weeks before, I started believing it because she was, like, stalking me to come to London and um, to participate in a contest with nine other girls. So I went on my own to, to London. Uh, no money at all. Just exactly picked out the shabbiest hotel, the floor was like this, it was horrible, and then that evening I dressed up and I went to this big tower, skyscraper, and I came in and um, there were so many people, like, I honestly felt like I didn't fit in, oh, beautiful people, and um, probably I all highly educated, very sophisticated, and I thought, what the hell am I doing here? Um... Then I started talking to these girls, these other models there, and they were so nice. And I honestly thought I was, I was just out with some girlfriends. So I didn't care about the, I forgot about the whole contest. I didn't care about it anymore. I was just like, this is cool. This is who I am as well. Mm. And then we got on stage, and um, suddenly I heard my name. I was like, no, it's not possible. So apparently I won. No. And all, yes. <laughs> and all these photographers were like flashing and I was sitting there with a ball of Tia Maria and flowers and I thought, what the, what is going on? This is crazy. Um, which was such a boost to my confidence. Those kind of things, which I'm glad I did. But like getting an 8 out of 10 at university this modeling contest, this... And what um, made you uh, bold enough to, from going to be alone in your room, don't be weird, don't communicate, to sign up for a contest? Um, what if? Oh, what if? Yeah. Imagine. Yeah, what if 
I could actually do that. What if, and not even believing 100% fully that I could do it, but what if, what if I could do it? What if I could just go there? What if I could, it's the same I still have right now, what if I could write my own show? Mm. What if I could, um, it's the moment I feel fear, it's even like, man, I was scared of heights. And then I started traveling, and there was this one point I was in Brazil, and there was this, I was on this boat, mm-hmm. and you could jump off, and everybody starts, and I was like, shit, I'm so scared right now. But it's the moment you feel fear coming up, and at that point, you say, fuck it, I'm just gonna go. And that point, you already know that you've, that you've um, hit the ball, basically. That you've like conquered something. You haven't even done it yet. But the moment you say, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And then you just fly. And that's, yeah. What would you say was the hardest thing for you in all of this? What what change of it was the one that took you the, the most out of you? Um, there, were, there were a lot of hard things. But um, uh, I was 22. And I, at the time, I didn't have a college degree or like a high school degree. I never finished high school. Okay. And I was depressed. I was a sex addict at the same time. And I was in debt. I had a lot of bills to pay, but I couldn't really pay for them. And um, the only thing that made me feel normal, because I never felt normal. I always felt like I was different or left out, like an outcast. And the only thing that made me feel normal was that I had a job. It was just being a waitress. It wasn't anything fancy or anything because, well, I didn't have a degree or whatever. So it was a, I was a waitress six, seven days a week in a restaurant, but that made me feel so normal to be around people. And then I, um, I lost my job. And that doesn't even sound too bad for a lot of people because you can just say well, why don't you get just a waitress job to get another one but it happened to be that two months before I had tried to commit suicide so at that point when there's a bump in the road it isn't like a rock it's like a hill so it felt exactly like that so afterwards I had to move back into my mom's house And everything just went to like the lowest point in my life where I thought I have nothing anymore. What do I have? Nothing. And I remember the one night my mom was out. I was alone at home. And um, I trashed her house looking for alcohol because I just didn't want to think about it. I was depressed. I was like at the bottom. I didn't want to think about anything. So I trashed her house looking for a bottle of wine or alcohol or whatever. And I found this big bottle of red wine. And I just drank it, just started drinking it, spilling it over her carpet, knowing she'd get mad at me. But whatever, just drank it. And then being drunk, I opened the front door and I left the house, leaving the front door open, not caring about anything. And exactly that is what I thought. I thought, I just don't. I got nothing to lose. I don't care. I don't care what happens now. It was winter, midwinter. I didn't even put my coat on, and I just walked and walked and walked. And I lived in uh, it was in Ladderdorp, Leiden mm. at that time. I just walked and walked, and I thought, I don't care what happens. Just walking through red lights, 
just any car could have hit me, nothing happened. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was um yeah, that was a hard one. Yeah. So so you the story started with you trying to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And then the only thing that still made you feel normal was having that job. As a waitress, and yes. then that gun taken away from you, so you felt empty-handed, and it sounds like you drank that bottle of wine and went out looking for the end again, but didn't find it? I guess, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. And, and what was so hard about what you just described, losing that job, or like that last thing that made you feel normal, what was it? I guess the feeling I had nothing to hang on to anymore. But like you find it when you're depressed or you try and find those happy moments, even if there's they're like one second or two seconds, it doesn't matter. You try to find the happy moments in the days mm. uh, because the rest of the day is shit anyway. <laughs> so the happy moments are bliss, absolute bliss. Um, and then when you don't have those happy moments anymore, you just... It's just empty. There's just nothing. Mm. So it feels like you're. It feels like falling and falling and falling and falling, and then you you try to grab onto things, and there's nothing there. Mm. But then again, you don't know where the end is. So yeah. That yeah. sounds that sounds super intense. What I'm wondering is. Uh... You're still here, you're doing yeah. pretty good. Yes. <laughs> so that's a big uh, turnaround. Yeah. What what was it that that how did you find the strength to carry on? Because the way you're describing it right now, it almost sounds like the end of the story again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I It's also, it's, uh, it's uh, different things, actually. And one of the things is the people around you. And also, um, it's realizing that you have impact on not just your own life, but other people's lives as well. So every little thing I did, such as trying to commit suicide and going out on the streets with a bottle of wine, um, didn't just affect me, but also my mother and my sister um, and seeing that uh, made me realize that there's there is a bigger picture to it it's not just about me okay. so that's one thing and then another thing was it wasn't a specific event but it was a realization that um, it is me basically who's doing all those things it is my actions so what I put in, I get back. And um, it was the whole uh, facing the fact that I was being self-destructive. So what made you face that fact? Mm, interesting question. I think it is other people. Is other people made yeah, you face that fact? definitely. How, how did that happen? They were definitely my mirrors. I think it was um, 
when I was in the hospital when I committed suicide, I was I, I was brought by an ambulance to the hospital, mm-hmm. and then I was lying there, and my mom and my sister actually found me, um, and it was interesting because at one point I was um, I was so drugged up mm-hmm. by the alcohol and the pills I had taken. I was just rambling. I didn't even know what I was saying, just rambling. And my mom and my sister were there, and I was fuzzy. I couldn't remember a lot, but there were nurses doing all these things. And then at one point, this doctor, he runs into the room, Mm -hmm. and there was this fear in his eyes, and he said, "Um, it's medicine poisoning, which can mean a lot of things, because you can actually die from medicine poisoning, but it can also mess up your body. Um, but there was this, it wasn't even what he said, it was this fear in his eyes that made me realize, this is it, this is the real deal. And then I got scared, so I felt this fear coming up, and it made me realize that I wasn't ready, because if I was ready, I'd be okay with it, I wouldn't give a shit. Can I say that? No, no, no. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Definitely. That's super interesting, so for you... One of the biggest turning points was discovering that you still cared. Yeah, yeah. Because you thought you didn't care anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's and right. then when you went that close to the edge, you almost tipped over the edge, but somewhere there you discovered that you still do care. Yeah. And at the same time, I hear you saying that a part of you caring is not about yourself, but also about the people in your life, because you are in their life as well. Yeah, yeah. You can tell me a little bit more about that, because the question that still lies with me is, you lost your job, the only thing that still made you feel normal, mm-hmm. and you were still depressed, it wasn't like that was over, and you are in a situation that you got like sent back to start living back with your mom. You had high debts, didn't have a degree, so your options were few. Mm. And still, you found the strength to reclaim yourself. Well, what was what was the making of that? Um, it was um, It was one step at a time, because even when I came from the hospital, I thought, okay, so I can do it again? I can try it again? Yeah, 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 there are two options. I can either try it again and succeed, because I didn't really succeed when I tried it, when I did it, Um, or I can um, see what else is out there. Um, And... um, I chose the other one. And I, I know you want to know why, <laughs> but there are so... No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I know making that choice is beautiful, but you stuck with that choice. I stuck with it. Because it wasn't easy, I can imagine. No, it was. it's one step at a time. This one it's step at a time? One step, one step, one step. And, and what was the most important step in that? It was... I think a huge factor was that <coughs> I didn't have confidence in myself. 
So I tried my whole life to, to pretend that I was invisible. But just pretending that you're invisible doesn't mean you are invisible and that you don't exist. Mm. It doesn't make sense. You still have a place in this world. Um, so making myself invisible and invisible. Um, and as a child, I didn't speak. I didn't communicate with anybody. I never learned how to share anything or to be social or whatever. I didn't know how to do it. Um, so I was alone a lot, playing in my room alone, and nobody really paid attention to me. My parents had their own problems, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, so I didn't have this self-belief or self-worth and this confidence and that I could do anything and that I would succeed in life. I didn't have it. Um, but what I did have is... Um, 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 curiosity. Okay. And also the fact that everybody around me, they went to university, they did all those things, they were smart, they were like, everybody had a life except for me, and I was like, that's not okay, everybody has a life. <laughs> so the first thing I did is imagine what I would like to do and I always said to my mom when I was a little girl I said I want to go to university one day no one in my family has gone to university okay. and that meant that um, I had to have a plan so I worked I worked and worked and worked because my parents weren't, weren't going to pay for anything uh, until I had enough money and then I did this 20, I was 23 21 plus exam and then uh, after the exam I thought fuck this shit forget about it, go to work, no high school degree, this fucked up. And then I got the results and it said I had um, 8 out of 10. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, that was the first I cried, I remember. Because I actually thought, I can do this. Like the... I even have it now, the realization that, I'm at, that I can actually do something. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm just going to try university for one year. And if I fail, there's always this voice which said to me, what if you're going to fail? So I um, thought, if I fail, I fail, but I can at least try. And then the first year, I got all eights out of tens. And then going to the second year and the third year. So step by step, you're building your confidence. That's the thing. It just doesn't come to you all of a sudden. It's just like, what do I need to do? Just do it. That's it. Yeah. So, just just to reflect, what I hear you saying is, you came you came from a childhood where you wanted to be invisible, mm-hmm. till you reached the point that you decided to erase yourself, and then kind of failed, and then you had two options, and you chose for curiosity. You were still curious enough to try it out there. Yeah. And then you went back to your childhood dream of going to university. Yeah. And you started building your confidence step by step. And and this uh, what I what I kinda hear is like when you lost that job, you kinda lost the only thing that kinda gave you confidence. Yes. Because it was the happy moments in life, this, this, this depression, but at the same time it made you feel normal and that yeah. kind of gave you confidence and you started rebuilding that 
that yeah. true for you this this whole yeah it is I think the eagerness to have happy moments because I didn't have any anymore so maybe it's the eagerness of having the happy moments back in my life trying to find them and but then going in survival mode because it's the only thing you you have and makes you happy just building all those happy moments what is what is the survival mode you talk about for you well survival mode is um for you it's It's yeah. It's like the it's the fight to stay alive. It's it's not a happy fight. It's just a, I need to stay alive. I need to survive. So I need to I need to do this and I need to do that. I need to do that. And at one point it becomes too much. But I guess in that period of my life it was necessary. Mm. Um, also because no one was going to do anything for me. I didn't have anybody to do anything or to give me anything or to offer me anything. So basically, you have yourself. Yeah. So you have to, you have to fight mm. if you want something. So it was always, always, always fighting, 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 fighting. Wow. Yeah. But you fought a good fight, I'd say. Yes. Weren't you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, mm. This question I'm going to ask you now is. Almost one-on-one -on -one related with a play I saw you recently do, the the, the Jackal, Mr. Hyde, is something you wrote, you're performing at the moment. Yeah, it's called um, Dr. Jackal and Miss Hyde, and it's based on. Dr. Jackal and Miss Hyde. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Okay, sorry yeah. for that. It's <laughs> good, and uh, I saw the play. It was really interesting. It was a, it was a great performance, and. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting stories come to come to play. It's a mix of probably fun stuff, but it's a lot of sad stuff in it. Yeah. Um, what is it that if you look back at this passage that you went through to the point you're now, had some some lesson or something you would try to, if you could jump into a time machine and go back and be like, hey, I'm Raksha from the future, what would be an advice or lesson that you would like to give to yourself? Hmm. I would like to... Um, tell myself, and I... That is what, I, what I'm trying to do with everything I do right now, actually. Uh, I would try to tell myself that anything is possible. That you can do anything. Um, but sometimes you need a little push or you need some inspiration or some motivation, but you can do If you set your mind to it, you can do absolutely anything and back then I didn't Really I never nobody ever told me how's that possible? I don't know but nobody told me that that was possible. I didn't have any role models or um, I didn't know you think it would land if you would tell yourself anything is possible I think that if there were, I think if I had a role model, okay. if I had someone to look up to, and um, yes, definitely, yeah. So yeah. somebody's going through the same situations that you've gone through, that's what you would share with them as well. Yeah, and that is all you, that you decide. 
what happens and you decide how you create your life and you it's it's all you and I never nobody ever told me that and I didn't even know until somebody told me and I was like it is so stupid that I've never thought of this before but it is absolutely true I just thought you 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 fall into society and that is your place that certain things are set in stone that's it like how you see all statistics like um, families with a low socioeconomic status and the children that are raised they fall all follow the same pattern that's what the statistics say they never go to university or they never they stay in the same social circle mm. basically in the environment um, and they don't see the role models they don't see that you can actually go further than that so I was locked in that social environment um, totally uh, but you don't have to be no way I think, I don't know, the only thing I have trouble with is uh, uh, like having a role model is one thing, but you put in a lot of hard work. Yeah, but you have to, you have to try because you have to, you have to try, those are the other worlds as well. You can step into it's not just your world but you have to try and figure out who you are i guess and that's what i've been so after i committed suicide i was like okay let's do this i don't know how like please somebody tell me how and give me like a three steps i can do but it doesn't work like that you have to actually figure it out yourself mm-hmm. so i tried to for 10 years i've been trying to do different things so going to university seeing what does that refill? Um, then uh, going to design, writing, um, making video clips, do modeling work. Like, where where am I basically in this world? Mm-hmm. And then I got into acting. Okay. And that was that was the liberation. That, that was yeah. That helped me so much. And the first day, I remember this voice in my head saying, um, "I'm happy." That was the first acting workshop I did. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Because I could allow everything to come up. So the girl who had trouble expressing herself and would sit by herself in her room found joy in sharing all that there was inside of her. Total shift. That was a total shift. But then you have to spend, like for some people it takes one year, two years, I think it was 10 years to figure out what is that thing, what is your channel, basically. Um, so, yeah. Okay. okay. And I, I still wonder, where, where did you find the motivation to put in all this work? Hmm. It is... Um, because I, I haven't met you before you started acting. I know you as a person who is acting and is choosing to go full throttle on expanding your acting career and I see you making steps and I'm like, okay, this is a person with dedication and motivation. But the story you just told me started with a person who threw in the towel. Yeah. I don't know that person. Yeah. But it's a big shift from throwing in the towel to 
stepping into the ring again and again, like you've been doing in London recently by boxing even. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, what, I understand it's a step-by-step -step thing. Yeah, but it's... But what was the shift? There's a specific situation, but the thing is, so when I look back, I can hardly believe that that little girl was me. Wow. And that's the thing, I feel like... Spending all those years trying invisible made me... I didn't know who I was. So who is me? So who am I? And I'm so curious to find out what's... I feel like I'm so much more than I am, and I feel like I can give so much more than I am. But at the same time, I want to... It's this motivation to excel. Okay. It's this drive to excel all the time, and then eventually... Yeah. Yeah. I cannot explain it. I hear a lot about being curious about yourself. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think this, this whole path you've been taking is about exploring yourself. Yes, definitely. Getting to know yourself. And uh, the stuff I was reading this year, mostly, <coughs> was about you accepting a challenge. You have accepted a certain challenge. And <laughs> I read it a couple of times. Challenge accepted, challenge yeah. accepted. I'm like, well, you're... Apparently, you're choosing to step into a realm that is challenging for you yeah. and taking that to the future. So, what is the, the, this change, this challenge that you are driving towards? Could you tell us a little bit about the future? Is it the one my dad? Or is it... Yeah. Also, I don't know, it feels like it's framed in a bigger thing. <laughs> You're letting out bits and pieces on your Instagram. <laughs> well, the thing what, which I love about um, I feel like because I never had a role model doesn't mean I cannot be a role model. So I feel like everything I've experienced is, is painful. Mm. But it's not just me. There are a lot of people who are experiencing pain. Um, so why not share with each other? And that's what acting taught me a lot. Just share it with each other. Um, okay. So you don't feel alone. Uh, but um, yeah, for the upcoming year at least. So my, my ambitions always lie with acting. Okay. But exploration of myself is um, to. I use the word. I use play. Um, it's to play more, okay. actually, because sometimes I feel like I have the tendency to control things which don't need to be controlled and I guess it comes from a survival mechanism okay. um, and being afraid of falling uh, into the unknown which is basically okay okay so I'm gonna focus a lot on uh, relationships between intimacy and sexuality and sex and what does it mean to me? What does it mean to other people? Um, I think there's a lot there we can all relate to. Um, and also my relationship with men. My show, Dr. Jekyll and Miss Hyde, is basically about addiction and specifically sex addiction and my relationship with men and also my dad okay. um, who struggles with addiction. Um, 
which created this enormous gap, not only between me and my dad, but also with men in my life. So I think it's time to um, to handle that. And then when you say it's time to handle that, uh, I sense that there is, uh, as you're sharing all of this, as you're creating all of this and exploring all of this, there's something you're you're looking for for yourself. What is that? What is it you hope to find? Love. I guess I think it's um I, I think it's a deeper level of intimacy. Um yeah, that's it, basically. Within relationships, if it's partner relationships or a relationship with men or women, there's this deeper level of intimacy. Um I'm just so ready to explore. And to, um, yeah, and to find out what works for me, basically. The, uh, what kind of form of relationship works for me. There's so much going on nowadays. Like, there's so many forms. Um, but you cannot, you can read about it. Uh, you can study it. But basically, you just have to go into it to see what works for you. Yeah, it's true. So what actually works for me, not having the feeling that I have to fit into a specific form, mm -hmm. but um, just to um, just to figure it out. And what makes me feel free at the same time, there's this thing about freedom and intimacy, and I always feel like you have to choose between freedom and intimacy. Wow. But between freedom and yes, intimacy? Yes. I always feel like intimacy like is a relationship. But I feel like sometimes you have to give up a certain amount of freedom for that intimacy. Okay. Um, so why, why could you have both? Oh. In which you find very comfortable with. And how does that work? Does it even exist? Is there a relationship in which you have intimacy and freedom? That's what I want to explore. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yes. Thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you. For sharing you. so much about yourself. Um, if you guys liked what Raksha was talking about, check out her website, rakshahost.com. Yes. Her Instagram, Raksha Host. Everything is Raksha Host, right? Everything is Raksha. Raksha is uh, R-A-K-S-H-A. Perfect. Host is H-O-O-S-T. And if you want to hear more about what she's going to do in the future, let me know, then we'll ask her out on the show again, because I'm curious, but for this episode, I think we did a great job discovering that Raksha is curious about love nowadays. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Raksha. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> awesome. Thank you.